Salvete Utualeatis. Welcome to Vox Romana, your podcast for the best in Roman culture and everything Latin. This is Marca Hortensia Maior. Good morning, Romans. Here is Publius Memius Albucius speaking from his villa deep in his city in Eden, sweet Gallia. Welcome to a Roman podcast classical news, the only one which are totally guaranteed by Nova Roma. Rome was amazing, and is still. Least to least, you, my friends, who are listening us around the world, listen to our news from Netherlands and from Rome, the eternal city. In the Netherlands, as to brief, archaeologists have uncovered what they believe is part of the military road that Roman soldiers patrolled nearly 2,000 years ago while guarding against hostile Germanic tribes the Roman Empire's northern boundary. Romans first entered this part of the Netherlands under Julius Caesar in 53 before Christ. Known as Latin as the Limus, the road was in use from, from roughly 50 after decade to 350 after decade before it fell into disrepair and eventually disappeared underground. Said archaeologist Wilfried Essing, who is leading the excavations in Uten, about 30 miles southeast of Amsterdam. The straight of road discovered in Uten is believed to have connected two forts, Trajectum, which gives its name to the modern city of Utrecht, and Fectio, modern Vecten. This find is the latest of several near Utrecht. In year 2002, archaeologists found the remains of a watchtower on the Rhine. Denku, Netherlands friends! And now, let's go to Rome. You're still on the Vox Romana podcast? Publius Mimius Albucius is speaking. You surely know the Palatine, one of the most famous hills in Rome. Yes, there are hills in Rome, naturally for very busy tourists. This is not obvious. This hill just over the Roman Forum, the hill where the emperors and rich Romans loved to build their place. Yet the hill with a steep climb up from the Forum. Just a short word here. Every year there are 10 million annual visitors in Rome. An Italian government has stated that just a tenth of tourists can face the trek after they've towed ancient Rome's large art and since the Colosseum. I have good and bad news about the Palatine, but first because I'm optimistic. The hill is, according to an Italian article issued this 2nd of February, set to get to a Teton lifeline. Why? Because the Italian government has not got enough cash to stop it collapsing. No, it's not a joke, Amiche. Minimum 20 million euros are needed. And the money collected by the, however skilled, cultural ministry Francesco Rutelli, 7 million euros. There's no time to lose, the experts say. For the Palatine, site of the humblest early Roman settlements and the later palaces of emperors, is so shaky and riddled with rain-swollen holes that some experts think it could all come down in a heap. Many of its villas, temples and residences have been closed because of lack of money. There's a widespread risk of collapse, said Rutelli two weeks ago, launching the drive to make the area safe. We are going to fix this hill up, said. The project will be comprehensive, addressing stability problems and putting up new tourist facilities.
the engineer's task with overseeing the works, Giorgio Croci. Welcome the new approach. Things have been scattered short up till now. Too many fingers in too many dikes, Croci said. Now, for the first time, the Palatine problem is being tackled as a whole. Rule, I say, no to hold. Let's hope together that all good wills will be able to work fast and together just to avoid a catastrophe. Now the good news! This works on Rome's Palatine Hill have turned up to a trove of discoveries, including what might be the underground grotto where ancient Romans believed a wolf nursed the city's legendary founders Romulus and Remus. Irene Jacopi, the archaeologist in charge of Palatine and the nearby Roman Forum, says experts used probe to peer into the 52-foot deep cavity and found vaulted space decorated with frescoes, niches and seashells. The experts are thought to the Lupo Cave. This is where she placed known as Lupercari. And not Lupana, please comes from Lupa, Latin for wolf. Roman texts say that it was close to Augustus' palace. The emperor had restored it, Jacopi says, but it's too early to say for sure whether this palace is a famous Lupercare or not. Here is the end of your classical news. You are listening to Bius Memius Albocius. And now, for this part of the program, Naya Salvius Aster from Hispania will talk about the Religio Romana. Salvete! I am Naius Salvius Astor, and I will be talking about ancient Roman religion. Our first glance to the ancient Roman religion is usually quite surprising for a modern mind. The Roman religion does not have any of the characteristics that we associate with the concept of religion. It does not have a body of doctrinal beliefs, it does not have a moral creed, and it does not have an ordinary mythological body. It seems to simply consist of a group of repetitive rituals performed with dramatic exactitude generation after generation. In strict terms, when we contemplate the ancient Roman religion, we see that there are instances where religion does not equal creed. To actually understand the basic concepts that lie behind the traditional religious expressions of the Roman culture, we have to be ready to get rid of the preconceptions that 20 centuries of monotheism have implanted in our collective minds. That is the goal of this lecture, to allow you to get rid of these preconceptions when discussing ancient Roman religion, to prepare you to understand this complex and unfamiliar subject if you decide to plunge more deeply into it. Let's look for a series of traits that can help us define the ancient Roman religion. In order to understand the ancient Roman religion, we have to understand Roman religious expression in four different axes. Belief, Tradition, Community and Celebration. When discussing belief, I guess that it won't come as too much of a surprise if I tell you that the Romans venerated many gods. Almost every modern Westerner knows that much about ancient Roman religion. But what does it mean to venerate in this case? What did they really believe? And how did they express their beliefs? Unlike Christianism, Islam or Judaism, the ancient Roman religion was not a revealed religion. 
It was not distilled from a body of sacred writings, although there are some sacred writings of a different kind, the Sibylline books, for instance. Neither did it have a group of dogmas that the believer had to accept in order to attain salvation or enlightenment. There was no initiation, formal teaching or conversion. There was no moral code besides the ethics dictated by normal civic relationships. The key difference between modern monotheistic religions and the ancient Roman religion, and actually all traditional religions of antiquity, is that personal beliefs and religious aspirations were expressed in a plane parallel to the formal Roman religious system and were thus not regulated by religious practices. The nature of the gods was a subject of study for philosophers, not for priests. The ancient Roman religion dissociated explicit belief and religious practice, although religious practice did not exclude exegesis and free speculation, which were activities developed outside the religious sphere. Therefore, and to a certain extent, the Roman religion granted freedom of belief to its practitioners. However, it would be a mistake to consider that the ancient Roman religion was void of any spiritual content. Rites and ritual attitudes actually implied a certain vision on the nature of things, on the order of the world. After all, the fact that the Romans adore their gods implied that they believed in them, and that they believed that their ritual practices could appease them. The practice of auspices and auguries reveals a belief in the possibility of a communication with the gods in order to know their will. The private cult implies a belief in a form of afterlife, and so on. After all, without those implicit beliefs, there would be no reason to perform the rites demanded by tradition. And that is also a key element when describing the main traits of the ancient Roman religion. It was defined by tradition. When a Roman citizen performed his worship, he was following a community tradition. And it was tradition that dictated exactly what had to be done in a given rite. Those instructions were handed down from father to son with generations of a successful Roman culture to prove their effectiveness. Because of this, the Roman religion was highly ritualistic and therefore severely traditionalist and conservative. Each ritual had been tested by past generations to the point where it had to be performed according to very scrupulous rules. If there were a mistake, even a minor one, the whole ritual had to be repeated in order to attain the desired divine protection. Thus, we can say that the ancient Roman religion was a religion based in orthopraxy, a Greek word that means right practice, instead of being based in orthodoxy, right speech. However, this religious conservatism did not stop the Romans from introducing new gods and new practices as they saw fit. To begin with, their polytheism and their lack of dogmatism did not deny the existence of the gods of foreign peoples, and the Romans were quick to adopt foreign deities whenever it suited their needs. A very important thing to keep in mind is that the ancient Roman religion was a social religion, strictly linked to a community and not to an individual. 
It only concerned each person as member of a given community. Therefore, there was no one Roman religion. There were as many Roman religions as there were Roman social groups. There was a city cult called cultus publicus, a family cult called cultus privatus, a cult for each legion, a cult for every professional college, a cult for each neighborhood or of a city, and so on. Religious duties were therefore part of the package of being a Roman citizen. One did not choose to adore the Roman gods, one was born into adoring the gods. A foreigner had no duties whatsoever concerning the Roman cult. It was a right only granted to Roman citizens because it was the religion of the Romans as a people, as a community of citizens. And when a foreigner became a Roman citizen, taking part in the Roman religious practices was part of his new rights and, to a certain extent, duties. The ancient Roman religion was therefore the religion of the Roman community and the religion of the Roman state, as it had been since the creation of that state. As such, the Roman religion influenced every aspect of Roman life, from politics to agriculture and from the games in the circus to the march of the legions. Every community action presented a religious aspect and every religious action had some community aspect. The highest expression of the collective nature of the Roman religion were religious festivities. The Roman calendar is formed by a series of festivities linked to the natural seasons and to the rhythm of agriculture and war, marking the stages of community life. There is no distinction in the Roman mind between civil and religious celebrations. Religious devotion and patriotism are one and the same. We have to think that for pious Romans, Life was passed in constant celebration of the special covenant that the Roman people had with their gods. The life of the Romans was permeated with religion. Do visit the Vox Romana website for further links on Roman religion. Valete in pacem deorum. Vox Romana Latin Dialogue. Vocis Romanae Colloquium. Quidnam faciamus astur? Eamus in tabernam. Hancne? Minime, haec est pessima, at illa placet. Fiat, haec mensa convenit, en aspice, priscus edest. Heus, prisce, veniat nos. Aha, estis ubi, qui latin eloquentes. Sen, non sum priscus? In vino es astur, abucius sum. Salsissime, ecce tabernarius, quid volumus? Hmm, quomodo latine dicitur Martini? Martini volo. Minime vero. Tibi est dicendum maltini quassati non agitati, ut dicret Chamsbond. Puer, duo pocula vini et unum martini quassati non agitati hortensiae. Optimum, euge. So, Aster, what shall we do? 
Let's go to a cafe. This one? No, it's terrible. Here, this is a good one. Okay, this table here is fine. Oh, look, there's Priscus. Hey, Priscus, come join us. Um, your Latin speakers are everywhere. Very funny. Here comes the waiter. What do we want? Hmm, how do you say martini in Latin? I would like a martini. No, you must say martini shaken nose tear, like James Bond. Waiter, two glasses of red wine and a martini shaken not stirred for Hortensia. <laughs> Excellent, Ege. And now, with news from around the forum. Salvete, I'm Emilia Curia Finnica of Provincia Tules, and here's the latest news from the provinces and around the forum of our listeners in Nova Roma. There is general excitement in the forum over the Ludi Geriales chariot races. Pactia Praesina and Albata took the lead in the Ludi Martiales chariot races, but other factiones are not beaten yet. There are plenty of races to come this year. The citizens of Italia are looking forward to celebrate the birthday of Rome on April 21st. They will be getting together, visiting a museum and naturally celebrating with a dinner. I wish I was there. <laughs> Let's lift a glass of mulsum with friends instead. The Accademia Italica also will be interviewing experts in various fields of classical Roman history, archaeology and literature. The Daki crossed the border in February to attend the Italian meeting in Histonium, modern Vasto. Everybody had an excellent time and you can see the pictures posted on their website. The Daki are now planning events for their province. Congratulations to Provincia Gallia, which just produced its own newsletter, Quirinus. They seem to be making a move to host the next conventus in southern France. Good luck, Albuquius! And as we speak, the Hispani are busy with arrangements for this summer conventus in Merida, the beautiful Augusta e Merita. And that's all for the local news for now. Valete and goodbye. And now a return to Vox Romana's reading of the Aeneid. Our Latin reader this time will be Lucius Arminius Faustus, and the English will be done by Marco Hortensia Maior. A small recapitulation. When last we left, Queen Uno was raging at the Trojans' attempt to reach Italy and tries to prevent it. Eolus et contra. Tus, o Regina, quid optes explorare labor, mi iussa capesere fazest. Tu mihi, quod cum que hoc regni, tu septra iovenque concilias, tu das epulis acumberi divum, niborunque facis, Tempestatunque potenten. Ec obdicta, cavum conversa cuspte monten. Impulit in latus, ac venti, velunt agnimi facto, quadata porta, ruunte terras turbini perflant, incumbueri mari, todunque a sede buzimis, une urusque notusque hunt, creberque procelis, africus et vastus volvunta lictora fluctus, Insecto caramorque, virunque stridorque rudentur, 
eripiunt subtunubes selunque dienque, teocrorum ex oculis, bontu nox incubat atra, iutunueri poli, et crebis micat ignibus eter, presententque viris intentant omnia mortem. Ex templo enea sovuntur frigori membra, ingemit, e duplis stendens ad sidra palmas, talia vois refert. Quaterque, quaterque, beati, quisante ora patrum troie submanibus autis contigito peteri. Odana um fortissimi gentis tididi, menilhasses ocumberi campis non potuis, tuaque animam anque funderi dextra, servus ubi aes de telo e acet hector, ubi ingen sarpedon, ubi tot simus correpta subiundis, Escuta virum galeasque et forte a corpora volvit. Talia iactant stridens aquilonem procela velum adversa ferit. Sutusque ad sideratolit franguntur remum. Tum prora vertit et undis dat latus. Insectur cumulo preruptus aquemons. Iis sumo influcta penem. Isunda derrissens terra interfluctus aperit. Frurite esto erenis, tris noctus abreptas in saxa latentia torquet, saxa vocante italis medicoe influctus aras, dorsum imani mari sumo, tris euros ab autum, in breves et sirgis urget, miserabili viso, in lidicti vadis atque ageris singiti erene, unan quelicius fidunque verrebatorontem, ipsius anteóculos a ingens avertisi pontus, Impupium ferit, escutitur pronuncer magister, volvitur in caput, astan ilan iter ubtus idicen, torcon agent circus, et rapidus vorate core vortex, ad paranta rari nantes ingurgit vasco, armaviram, tabuleque, troia, gaza perundas, iam validam ilionei naven, iam fortes acate, et quavectus albas, et ca grande avectus aletes viciens, Iaxis lateros compagibus homines, assipiunt inimico imbrin. Iolus replied, Your task, O queen, is to decide what you wish, my duty to fulfill your orders. You brought about all this kingdom of mine, the scepter, Jove's favor. You gave me a seat at the feasts of the gods, and you made me lord of the storms and the tempests. When he had spoken, He reversed his trident and struck the hollow mountain on the side, and the winds formed ranks, rushed out by the door he'd made, and whirled across the earth. They settled on the sea, east and west wind, and the wind from Africa, together thick with storms, stirred all from the furthest deeps, and roll vast waves to shore. Follows a cry of men, and a creaking of cables. Suddenly clouds take sky and day away, from the Trojans' eyes, dark night rests on the sea. It thunders from the pole, and the ether flashes thick fire, and all things threaten immediate death to men. Instantly Aeneas groans, his limbs slack with cold. Stretching his two hands towards the heavens, he cries out in this voice, O oh, three, four times fortunate were those who chanced to die in front of their father's eyes under Troy's high walls. O Diomed, son of Tydeus, bravest of Greeks, Why could I not have fallen at your hand in the fields of Ilium? 
and poured out my spirit where fierce Hector lies, beneath Achilles' spear, and mighty Sarpedon, where Simoeus rolls and sweeps away so many shields, helmets, brave bodies of men, in its waves. Hurling these words out, a howling blast from the north strikes square on the sail, and lifts the sea to heaven. The oars break, then the prow swings round and offers the beam to the waves. A steep mountain of water follows in a mass. Some ships hang on the beaker's crest, to others the yawning deep shows land between the waves. The surge rages with sand. The south wind catches three and whirls them onto the hidden rocks, rocks the Italians call the altars, in mid-ocean, a vast reef on the surface of the sea. Three, the east wind drives from the deep to the shallows and quicksands, a pitiful sight, dashes them against the bottom, covers them with a gravel mound. A huge wave, toppling, strikes one astern in front of his very eyes, one carrying faithful Orontes and the Lycians. The steersman, thrown out and hurled headlong, face down, but the sea turns the ship three times, driving her round in place, and the swift vortex swallows her in the deep. Swimmers appear here and there in the vast waste, men's weapons, planking, Trojan treasure in the waves. Now the storm conquers Alonius's tough ship, now Akate's, now that in which Abbas sailed, and old Aletes, their timbers sprung in their sides, all the ships let in the hostile tide and split open at the seams. We've come to the end of our show. Until next time, Walete.